0: Hey folks, welcome back to the next episode of the Jedi Council Podcast, where we like to explore mental health and your favorite fictional characters. This is Brandon Saxton.
1: And Katie Gordon.
0: Katie, how are you doing today?
1: I'm good, because we have a very special guest today, one of my closest friends and colleagues... Wendy Gordon. Oh, jeez. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Sorry, Brandon. The awkwardness. This is is really embarrassing. I really should have thought that through. (laughs) And also, a fun fact about Wendy, whose last name is also Gordon, though we are not related. um, We are mistaken for each other often because we look somewhat similar, and obviously our names are similar, and... That's kind of fun for me. I always take it as a compliment. I also tell
2: people my name's Katie. Oh. I think that <laughs> contributes oh. to the problem. Well, case closed on that <laughs> Mr. Especially then. when I've done something wrong. <laughs> That's <laughs> good. Good to know. I'm less excited now.
1: I've, <laughs> so I've
0: tried that strategy, too, around mm. the department, and I find it works less well for me when I introduce myself Katie
2: Gordon. I think it's the beard. <laughs> yeah, I think <laughs> so, too. So. That's the only thing.
0: All right, Wendy. We're happy to have you on. We appreciate your time and your expertise. Maybe should we start things off just by just asking, who are you, and just to paint paint a (laughs) picture for the listeners? Every day. Yeah, it's a a big question. (laughs) It's a huge
2: question. Uh, Well, I'm here because I'm a developmental psychologist who studies children's peer relationships, and um, in particular, I'm interested in bullying and peer victimization, how that affects kids, why it happens, and how we can prevent and stop it. Awesome.
0: I love it. That sounds really great. And mm-hmm. it's it's certainly relevant to some stuff that we've been talking about lately, particularly w- when 13 Reasons Why sort of blew up. People are asking us some questions about bullying. And there was a few times where Katie and I were, we sort of like to... We start by talking about the things that we know that we know about, and then after that we'll talk about things that we can quickly find research about, but bullying was one of those things where we were like, ah, let's wait, because we actually know someone who does know mm-hmm. a lot about bullying, mm-hmm. so we kind of deferred some of that, um, right. not that we saved a bunch of that stuff. I, I've kind of, like, just erased 13 Reasons Why out of my mind for a while, because it, we talked about it so much, and, and everyone sort of talked about it so much, so...
1: And it was emotionally painful to to kind of watch and talk about. But we focused a lot on the suicide aspects Mm -hmm. of it and not as much on the bullying. But that's a major focus of it. So it's great to talk about it because, and and just in conversations with you, we've talked about how people have some pretty big misunderstandings about bullying, Mm -hmm. what's helpful and all that kind of stuff. So we thought this would be a nice opportunity to clarify some of that stuff from an expert. Oh, thank you. I'm happy to be here doing that.
0: Well, maybe a good jumping mm-hmm. off point is is what is bullying? That seems like what as is good a point? spot as any before we really talk about it. Really, just a because I think and correct me if I'm wrong, Wendy, but I think that term maybe gets used incorrectly sometimes, especially in media.
2: I think it gets uh, incorrectly used in media. Definitely gets uh, incorrectly used in um, just casual conversations that people have about it, especially in discussing their own children or their own personal experiences. Um, researchers, when we talk about bullying, we are talking about a behavior that um, children or adolescents and sometimes adults uh, engage in, in which they repeatedly aggress against somebody else purposefully, and the person that they're hurting is someone who in some way is weaker or less powerful than themselves, that doesn't have to be physically less powerful, but in some ways is less capable of standing up for themselves and has some sort of uh, liability that makes them more vulnerable to being hurt by others.
1: Okay, so it, you said it doesn't have to be physical. Would it be, like, in terms of social status or something? that would or
2: Social status is probably one of the biggest ones. Okay. Is, um someone who's more popular, uh, bullying someone who's less popular. It could be someone who, it can be a physical difference, someone bullying someone who's physically weaker. Unfortunately, too often we see someone who is being bullied uh, because they maybe um, have some cognitive deficits, that leave them more vulnerable to other people's aggression. It could be because they're being marginalized for some reason, such as sexual orientation, gender, race. Um, it could just be a lack of social skills.
1: Okay. And so when they're, what behaviors fall under the kind of umbrella of aggressive behaviors that would be considered bullying?
2: Really anything that's hurtful. Okay. So anything, including anything physical, verbal taunts, excluding somebody, gossiping about them, threatening the relationship, the friendship, for example, uh, any form of sexual harassment, anything that really can hurt somebody is a form of, is potentially a form of bullying. Okay, thank you. But again, not all aggression is Mm -hmm. bullying. Um, It has to have that power differential. I think that's where people sometimes really get a misunderstanding, is they forget about that part about the power differential.
0: You could especially, and maybe I'm wrong on this because I'm not a parent, but I could imagine that being a parent, you could especially see that in parents where you might feel defensive about your children and see something and say, oh, they're being bullied, they're being bullied. And yeah, they're not being treated kindly, but maybe it's not quite actually what we would define as researchers as bullying.
2: I see that a lot. And that's not to say that any time a child is hurt by another child, that is something to be concerned about. Mm -hmm. So that's not to ever try to be dismissive of an experience a child has that's painful. That's not at all what we want to say. Absolutely. But that word bullying reflects a level of repeated aggression that often isn't happening when some parents get concerned. And it's very hard not to. As a parent, I can be as rational as possible when I look at my own research, but when it's my kids, right. I don't know, I fly off the handle because right. <laughs> it's my kids. Mm-hmm. So I, I know that parental experience of just, you know, all it takes is your child being hurt once and to want to scream. Uh, but usually with bullying, Uh, We're really talking about something repeated, and actually researchers like myself often really focus more on what we call pure victimization, which is defined as the experience of being the repeated target of other children's aggression, so it becomes more about what's going on with the victim rather than trying to focus on um, the repeated pattern by the bullies, trying to focus on the kids who are the constant target of other children's aggression.
1: Okay. And so maybe that's a good place to kind of transition to what are the effects of bullying on people or the people who are
2: victimized by their peers. Right. So for kids who are really what we call peer victimized, and to be clear, these are kids who are aggressed against and socially excluded, you know, repeatedly, often for years, right, um, if not months, years. Um, it can be, lead to heightened risk for depression, anxiety loneliness. We start to see school avoidance, Mm -hmm. academic problems, higher rates of dropping out of school, increased risk um, in some studies for um, psychiatric hospitalization as an adult, uh, drug, alcohol problems. Of course, one of the most known or spoken about correlates is um, suicidal ideation. Mm -hmm. Um, Of course, we also like to mention that um, there's a lot of factors that go into um, suicidal ideation and suicide attempts, and bullying is just a very tiny part of what someone might be experiencing. So I think sometimes we overplay that link, like in mm-hmm. the, the show you were mentioning, mm-hmm. um, which I didn't see, but I, th- I think we also have to recognize that there's many factors that go into something like suicide, uh, but these are all common um, correlates of having had an experience of especially chronic peer victimization. What do you think...
1: Happens that to someone when they're victimized, especially repeatedly over a length of time, that would make them start thinking about suicide?
2: Well, again, I think it's it's so much more than just the, the bullying, mm-hmm. um, but I think the bullying in particular, we know, it just erodes self-esteem, mm-hmm. um, but it also affects how you think of other people. And so I think it really changes the entire mindset that you have about the world, your um, sense of um, optimism about the future. And so that's going to definitely contribute to any other psychological problems that might be happening. Not to say that victims always have psychological problems, mm-hmm. but for someone who's thinking about suicide, there's a lot going on. And what bullying might be contributing to is that sense of hopelessness as well as low self-esteem.
1: One one thing that's been brought up I've seen in the media, especially, is uh, cyberbullying and, and how that's changed bullying. I'm wondering in, in the field, has that changed how questions are asked or the way
2: that you look at things? We definitely, especially we're trying to catch up. That is really yeah. tough because especially most of us who are well established in the field um, of studying this are old. <laughs> and we <laughs> I don't know how to Snapchat or right. Instagram, um, but we definitely have tried to incorporate a uh, Cyberbullying and cyber victimization into our measures especially if we start looking at middle schoolers and adolescents i think one question we're grappling with is at what age do we start asking these questions um you know how young do you have to go and in which sub samples of the population do you start to see this occurring early and others you might not see it occurring so much um in elementary school but it has completely changed how we have to think about you know um the context in which bullying happens and how we measure it.
1: And one of the things, like in 13 Reasons Why that came up, was that they were able to rapidly distribute a revealing picture of the main character in it and, and those types of things. And I, I wonder if you would guess that there's a higher rate of bullying, or is it just are more
2: people aware of it because it's through that medium? I don't think we're seeing a higher rate of bullying because mm-hmm. of it. I do think it changes the qualitatively the experience of it. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, I don't think we as researchers really know right now to what extent that sort of mass exposure of um, being bullied to a large group is having an effect on kids. I think I don't think our measures are sensitive enough to get mm-hmm. at that specific psychological aspect. I think that's a very important question for the future is to understand that. Um, we do know that most kids who are bullied through cyber means are also being bullied face-to-face. Oh. Oh, okay. And so part of why it's hard to distinguish all mm-hmm. this is because we can't think of this as – one or the other, it's usually part of a much larger peer dynamic.
1: Okay, and that 13 Reasons Why I did accurately depict that and that there was in-person yeah. bullying and there was also through electronic means sharing and things like that. Mm-hmm. And that's one aspect that I've heard, even though adults are concerned about the series, that I have heard at least anecdotally adolescents saying they relate to that part, especially those who have been victimized by their peers, and that to them... That felt like maybe people can understand what it's like and how severe it is mm-hmm. and that, that type of thing. So, we've talked about all the negative effects and all of that type of stuff. What is the best
2: way to respond to bullying and what are the bad ways to respond to bullying? Well, I guess it kind of depends on what you say. We say respond to bullying, but I think one of the first things that people have to realize is that there's no quick solution. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the worst things that I see, and I, I looked at some websites uh, right before our, we did this show was I looked to see what is still out there and mm-hmm. sort of, you know, and you know, in, in really respectable websites about what do you do and how to handle bullying. And there's still this sort of idea that you have this quick fix response. Um, so people like to say things like, you know, avoid or walk away. And the research does not support that at all. So... Uh, there's maybe some positive benefits in some situations that we see for walking away. We do often see, for example, heightened levels of depression, sometimes even more aggression um, coming as a result of it. Uh, and, and it's a horrible experience for a kid to be told, look, all those kids are hurting you, mm-hmm. and your best option is to not be around other kids. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, my friend, Eric Buss, who's also a professor who studies mm-hmm. bullying, used to tell a great story when we were in grad school because he was a teacher before... Uh, he went into research, and he had this wonderful story that really um, illustrated this point. He was watching a group of kids play, and there was a boy who other kids would make fun of, and probably what we would call a pure victimized child. And every day they would go out to play, they would play house, and he would have to be the dog, and they would make the dog do humiliating things. And after a few days mm-hmm. of this, my friend said to him, "Why do you keep letting them make you be the dog?" Why do you keep playing with them? And he said, I'd rather be the dog than be alone. So when we tell kids just walk Mm -hmm. away, we have to think about what that actually means for them in terms of their social experience. Uh, Another thing people say is tell an adult, and that is absolutely true, but that's not a solution, Mm -hmm. right? Because what we're finding is kids who say I tell someone, a teacher or a parent, first off, we have a lot of data showing that those kids report that nothing good comes of Mm -hmm. it. And they also often show heightened levels of depression afterwards. Mm -hmm. So it's not highly effective. It might be doing a little bit good job of those kids then don't turn around and become aggressive themselves, but in terms of their emotional pain, telling adult doesn't seem to be a highly effective solution for a lot of kids anyway. So it's not gonna be about, hey, here's the quick fix response that you as an adult can give a kid who's being bullied. Mm -hmm. That's not gonna work, unfortunately. My best advice is: it's going to be long, it's going to be complicated. So, and I think about this in terms of kids who are really pure victimized. You know, I look at that ten to fifteen percent of kids who are really out there where they're bullying; their their experience of being bullied is is constant and chronic. And for those kids, I think you really have to really sit down and come up with a plan with all the adults involved, teachers who might be working with that teenager or child, the parents, um, and really understand the dynamics that's supporting it. What's happening in this peer group? Bullying is not about just a kid who's bullying and a kid who's being picked on. It's a group dynamic. So in any classroom or school setting, you've got the children who might be the ones who are actually aggressing against a child who's being bullied, but you also have the kids who are assisting that kid who's being bullied uh, or who's doing the bullying, we call them assistants. They join in, um, they might help out with whatever the bullying is. There's kids who are reinforcers who don't join in but laugh, smile, they provide a context that's supportive of the bully. Um, and then you have kids who might be defenders who will actually sit there and stand up for the kid who's being bullied or um, at least give that child some um, social support. And so what's happening in that dynamic needs to be understood, right, because you have to change the peer dynamic because bullies do get something out of what they're doing, right. Um, They're doing it because it's getting them social stature usually. It's something that actually promotes um, their dominance in their peer group um, and and really their their popularity and their status. Uh, So you want to figure out how can you shift this peer dynamic such that you have more defenders, fewer reinforcers, and the kind of behavior that's reinforced by the peer group is the pro-social behaviors, not these aggressive behaviors. So you really need to have um, adults who are involved in the situation who really understand the kids. Mm -hmm. Uh, One thing that we do see in the literature that helps is removing the kids who are bullying from the kid who's being bullied, uh, separating those kids, uh, so that the kid who's being bullied has a chance to form more positive social relationships. This is probably not the most popular thing I can say, but I have to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I've done this as a parent myself, mm-hmm. and I thought my own child was experiencing, and I, I hate to use that word, bullying, because I don't think my child's really experienced mm-hmm. bullying, but has been the target of other kids' aggression, is ask the question, is there something that this child's doing that contributes to the situation? Mm-hmm. And that's a hard thing, because parents don't want to hear that their kid might be doing something that's contributing. And contributing doesn't mean blaming, mm-hmm. right? No child ever deserves to be called names, hit, excluded there's never an excuse for that mm-hmm. but we do find that kids who are bullied sometimes are lacking some sort of social skill and so is there something we can do to help that child uh, gain that social skill uh, to give an example from my own child um, I've, I've had two of these where my child seemed to be getting pushed around a lot and and a little bit of excluded by other kids and I went and I, I after I calmed down (laughs) and I needed to calm down, um, I went to the school and I did remind myself of my own advice. And I asked, is there something my child's doing that contributes to this? And they said, well, he does like to stand really close to other kids and it makes them uncomfortable. And I thought, okay, well then I will work with him on that. Right. They still knew that they had to deal with the children who were doing the Uh aggression because there was no excuse. And they even threatened to throw one of the ch- children out of the school, oh. so they took it seriously. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I had to work with my son on his on social skills that were making other kids feel either it was okay to bully him or were annoying other kids and made them want to bully him a little bit. Uh, that happened more recently where um, he was getting into problems with kids at school um, where they were starting to be much more aggressive to him and some things were happening and Um, I finally did ask the kids involved. I said, why is this happening? And they said, well, you know, he never gives up in an argument. He always keeps fighting with us. And I'm proud of him. Mm -hmm. He stands his ground, but he needs to learn how to hold his ground while not escalating fights. So we've been working with him on that. At the same time, though, we had some strong conversations with those boys about what they were doing and why that was wrong. So, again, not to excuse the aggression, but just to say, what's happening at the dynamic for all the children involved and what can you do to kind of shift that dynamic around. The other thing I recommend, and this was actually something I learned from a teacher, which is that the children who are chronically victimized, they often do have some social skills deficits or something else that makes other kids feel that they are vulnerable and would be a good target for bullying. And I had this wonderful teacher come up to me once and say, I had this situation with a kid and I realized that what I had to do as a teacher was show these kids how wonderful this student is. And this student was great at Taekwondo. So every day I would bring him up to the class and he would teach them something from Taekwondo that they really thought was cool. And then they really started to understand and what value he had to the class. And so having teachers who have a positive relationship with the kid who's being bullied, so important. We have um, so much research showing that for kids who are bullied, a positive teacher relationship with a teacher can really make a difference for that child, both in terms of emotional adjustment and academic adjustment. But a teacher who can really figure out how to highlight um, uh, the child's skills and and, and, and all the wonderful qualities that any child has, that can really make a difference for that child's relationship with his or her peers, because kids do pick up on the teacher's cues as to how to feel about one of their classmates.
1: That that's really interesting, in and you mentioned earlier that some re- one reason people are targeted too sometimes is because there uh, can be for their race or sexual orientation or for other reasons like that. Are the recommendations you just talked about are they similar in some ways, or are
2: there uh, different approaches when that's the case? Well, I think I think the difference would be to really then start thinking about the climate for people within that particular marginalized group. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the teacher part becomes even more important, Mm -hmm. right, as someone who speaks to sort of what's the culture of this group going to be, um, and really addressing sort of the underlying prejudices that might be impacting uh, that particular, the, the, the bullying in that particular circumstance. The other thing I would think would be different is sometimes then the social skills issue mm-hmm. isn't, as, isn't really there. It's not about the, what the, ch- the child or the adolescence is bringing to the situation. It really is more about what's happening with the kids who are engaging in the bullying and the reinforcement, reinforcing of it and what kind of value system they're bringing to the situation. Thank you.
0: So maybe just to sort of start things off and continue our series on myths, what are some of the myths about bullying that, that you're aware of as an expert in the area?
2: Oh, sure. And there's tons. I'm sure, yeah. I'll start with the big one because this is the one that will not die. <laughs> this is the myth that will not die, um, that bullies have low self-esteem. Oh, okay. That one has been studied for decades, and we cannot get people to understand that bullies rarely have low self-esteem. Now, there are children who are both aggressive and they're victims. And I do want to point out um, that's, a very, that's about a third okay. of children who are mm-hmm. um, uh, bullied. About a third of them are also aggressive. Most children who are uh, in self-esteem, they're often quite popular, they're often highly socially skilled, um, they're, they're frequently also even good students. Um, that, that myth of sort of the um, oafish yeah. bully mm-hmm. um, that really doesn't work it's, it's out very much in the literature um, So this idea that these uh, kids who are bullying are just working out their own emotional issues through bullying um, no that's that's not the case. They often have very high self-esteem.
0: Why do you think that is persisting so strongly despite so much evidence against it? do you have any sense? About I, that?
2: Have, I have two reasons why I think one is is that I think it it's just such a strong narrative in our society. Mm-hmm. Right, this idea that of the, 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 a kid who gauges, engages in bullying who's just, you know, if we could just give that kid love, it'll make it all mm-hmm. better. Um, the other reason why is because we do have these victims who are also aggressive. And these do tend to be our kids with the most, at least in terms of victims and uh, kids who are identified as, as engaging in bullying, The ones who have the combination do tend to be doing the worst Mm -hmm. on any kind of emotional or behavioral measure of adjustment, um, and they tend to be noticed the most, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think a lot of times when people think about kids who bully, they're really focusing on these kids who themselves are also highly victimized. And so I think it's easy to kind of um, point to these sort of um, reactive, overly emotional, but victimized kids who are also aggressive and say, look, those kids the, who are have those problems they're the ones who engage in bullying the ones who are high self-esteem they don't get the attention sure. they don't get the nose because they're also your A students and you know possibly leaders of clubs and stuff like that
0: yeah that makes a lot of sense just to kind mm-hmm. of it, it's not as catchy it doesn't make for that you know as compelling of a story and mm-hmm. yeah so that, that does make a lot of sense to me yeah yeah
2: any other myths, oh, uh, big ones? Oh, yeah. Sorry, I have a whole list here. Oh, sure. <laughs> um, another one I like to talk about is the myth that bullying is socialization. And oh. this is one that doesn't get talked about as much. The, the low self-esteem one, you, you, anyone who writes a, a paper about the myths of bullying, you see that one mm-hmm. currently. But this is the one that I've started to notice in our society, and I hear this, for example, by students, is this idea that um, by picking on someone, you can change them, right? So if we just were able to, like, bully kids then we wouldn't have kids who have weight problems mm-hmm. or I've even had people say to me well the reason that the people are gay is because we can't bully the kids who are gay anymore which is just ridiculous oh. it's, it's horrible um, and it's even more implicit for example um, even the psychological literature this idea that negative feedback is one of the reasons we get our gender identity is because we get negative feedback for um, engaging in atypical behaviors um, but that negative feedback, if you look at what they're studying, it's bullying. Sure. Um, and, and we know that, no, bullying doesn't cause people to lose weight. It doesn't cause people to change their, you know, sexual orientation. Um, it doesn't, you know, um, pull people in line to your expectations. It just causes depression.
1: Yeah.
2: Right? And, and, and psychological distress. So I like to talk about that, that, no, you can't bully people and uh, as a way of trying to get them to follow in line with what you want people to act and be like.
1: I'm so glad you talked about that because that's certainly something that I hear from a broad range of people and sometimes surprised by that. And I, to kind of copy off what Brandon just asked, why do you think that
2: one persists? Why do I think that one persists? You know, and it's funny because I don't think it's one that we even recognize. Right. Yeah, um, I think, right. Um, and I'm trying to think if there's actually some pop culture... So that one that came to my mind, I'm trying to think, does it work or does it not work, was um, Sandy in Greece, mm-hmm, right? They are always mm-hmm. making fun of her for being so straight mm-hmm. So of course she, at the end, turns it around right. and it becomes tough and sure. um, like like the other ones. I'm trying to think if there's some narrative we have in our society where being bullied causes people to suddenly change um, in ways that the group wants. I, I, I don't know, maybe to either of you, can you think of other sort of pop culture narratives like
1: that. One thing that I've noticed within the area of eating disorders is that when sometimes individuals who have eating disorders, like anorexia, will point to they were kind of on some track. Maybe they had a genetic vulnerability or something, and then they started getting teased or made fun of, and then they started losing weight, and that led to um, that increased the risk for anorexia and bulimia. However, so those cases kind of exist, but that's not the majority, as we know. The research is clear that when you have stigmatizing ads about obese people or people report being teased about their weight, they're less likely to go to the gym. They report because they're more self-conscious mm-hmm. about it, and they feel more shame and sometimes will overeat to cope with that emotional pain. And But there's some, like, uh, linear Appeal, I guess, to saying if you make someone feel right. bad about this mm-hmm. thing, they'll just
2: change that thing. But that's that's just not how it works, right? It just I think that's, uh, we innately think that that's how we're going to change mm-hmm. people, right? If I point out what's wrong with you, mm-hmm. you'll change it. I think that's just an, an um, automatic response we have when we see someone's behavior that we don't like. Yeah. As well, I will tell you I don't like it. And clearly that's going to do the trick. And if it's something I really don't like, well, then I'm going to really do things to make you know how much I don't like it. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you said, even, even with something like, um, uh, eating disorders, right? Even if it does change your behavior in some way that's more in line, restrict your eating, mm-hmm. dysfunction. Yeah, it's very it's, unhealthy. It's, it's incredibly unhealthy, right? right? We're not saying that's going to lead to healthy eating power. Exactly. So, no, um, it leads them
1: to uh, overboard maladaptive things in the other direction. Exactly. Overcorrection. So yeah, right? I don't think anyone would say the goal of bullying is to cause someone to have
2: anorexia. Well, hopefully not. Hopefully if they say that That's really cruel. Right. Yeah. No, but we, it's very hard to think of any, I can't think of anything where bullying is the answer to how to get someone's behavior to be healthy and adaptive um, or what you think is healthy or adaptive right. because personally I would, if bullying changed someone's sexual orientation, I don't want to do that. I think mm-hmm. people should right. have the sexual orientation yeah. that they have. Um, exactly. So, you know, whatever you think is appropriate, there's no evidence that that's ever going to be the way to, to do that. So that's a myth that I think, yeah, I, I love to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um uh, another myth is that this is just part of growing up, right? You hear that a lot. Well, oh, oh everyone's bullied. And you even see that in um, articles about bullying that are supposed to be using the most recent research. Sure. Like this, uh, you know, every everyone experiences bullying at some point. Everyone has experiences where someone hurts them, mm-hmm. right? And where they feel like people are hurting them. Um, and not to dismiss those experiences, of course. I'm not trying to dismiss them, but this 10 to 15% of kids who are chronically the target of of bullying, who are pure victimized, that's not something everybody experiences. And one thing I worry about is when people say this is just part of growing up and everyone's experienced it, is that that's also a way to easily dismiss it. Mm -hmm. And for those 10 to 15 percent of children who are really suffering, it's not part of growing up. It's leading to horrible outcomes for a lot of these kids, and we can't dismiss it as some sort of normative experience.
1: Yeah, that's a great point because when you're talking about some of the negative psychological effects, you can see why being told, "Oh, that's just a typical thing," and yet you're having this negative reaction to it would make you question yourself and your yeah. judgment and your self-esteem. You know, why right. is it? Why am I struggling mm-hmm. with this
2: if everyone just goes through it? Yeah, actually, I have a paper that looked at this for parent attitudes, where parents who we asked parents what their mm-hmm. attitudes were, and kids who were um, reporting that they were. Uh, uh, or they were being was being reported by their peers that they were being bullied, um, they showed greater maladjustment over the course of a school year if their parents had an attitude that this is just a normative part of growing up, kids will be kids, it doesn't really hurt anyone. When their parents had that attitude, bullies, kids who were being bullied showed worse adjustment over the school year rather than kids whose parents had more um, of an appreciation for the seriousness of what bullying does to people.
1: Hmm. Any other myths that... Mind?
2: Those are three really powerful oh, and prevalent absolutely. ones. Yeah, probably the other one is that victim, victims just deserve it. Mm-hmm. I was actually just reading an article that was about mm-hmm. the myths of bullying. They said, you know, most most kids who are victims also are aggressive. And that kind of leads to this perception that victims just deserve it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and we even saw that for a while here um, in some of the political discourse mm-hmm. about anti-bullying interventions that oh, victims just deserve it because they themselves are the ones who engage in the aggression. And so just to go back to a point I made earlier, it's only about a third who actually engage in aggression. It's usually retaliatory because of being picked on. Mm -hmm. It's usually not very effective. So they're not usually um, very good at getting other kids to um, back off. So that kind of
1: challenges the myth that, like, if you just fight back, they'll leave you alone.
2: If there's anything that we've seen in the literature over and over again, it's that kids who are being bullied, who then report that their coping mechanism is fighting back, at least anything bad, right? Okay. So their victimization continues, they become more aggressive, they become more depressed, they become more rejected. So there's no evidence that um, fighting back is ineffective for these kids who are. Being bullied. The only exception, actually, there, I did have a finding in one of my own studies mm-hmm. um, where kids who fought back did report having less anxiety. Oh. Um, so it may be giving them some temporary relief from mm-hmm. the anxiety mm-hmm. caused by it, but on any other measure, it um, uh, leads to worse outcomes. And so I think finding a way for these kids to respond and deal with that anxiety would be much more effective than telling kids to fight back.
1: That's good to know because I do think that in pop culture is a depiction of, like, the person getting bullied and then they get enrolled in some martial arts class or right. they start training and then they're going to stand up for themselves. And finally, that
2: bully who's secretly insecure backs off. Yes, and that's, you know, I, I am a fan of martial arts. Yes. I'm, my kids do martial arts. So, oh, yeah. Um, but I'm pro-martial arts, uh, too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, teaches wonderful things. Mm-hmm. I think um, for kids who are... Um, Being bullied, it can teach some good... um, Help them with Mm -hmm. self-esteem and with um, being more assertive, which is a good thing, which is different than fighting back. Mm -hmm. Um, But the problem with the fighting back advice is that most of these kids aren't that good at it. Um, The social dynamics support... usually don't support them, Mm -hmm. right? And so it's going to be turned around against them, that they're out of control, or what what a horrible thing this person did. It'll kind of be used as weapons against them. Um, So it's just not an effective strategy for most kids who are again are these victims of chronic peer abuse
1: well um one thing that we like to do on this podcast as you know is kind of talk about fictional depictions and their accuracy and another fun fact which i've mentioned previously on the show is wendy is actually the person who got me into buffy the vampire slayer Whoa. Didn't know I was going to turn know. into this huge super fan, yeah. but, I, <laughs> but I sure have. And one thing that we've talked about that might be interesting for the Buffy fans out there is to talk about, like, Cordelia in Buffy. An Angel, mm-hmm. she changes, evolves a little bit, but in Buffy... She's obviously very popular. Does she realistically depict anything that you see in the research on popular kids?
2: What I like about the depiction of Cordelia is that it is a popular bully, right? It isn't that oafish bully that you see, um, which is how bullies have almost always been depicted up until about the time of Buffy. So I did really like that. Where I thought that it didn't get the bully dynamic quite right was there is aggression within friendship groups for example and she is part of that friendship group even though she picks on on them she is part of that friendship Mm -hmm. group um is that you don't see the the real pure victimized kids Mm -hmm. right you don't see that you don't see her really picking on kids who are really weaker than her really socially isolated kids where they're really getting it from the pure group as a whole so i think it got that part right Mm -hmm. i think um my favorite episode, actually, with regard to pure victimization, was um, the episode where the girl disappears. Oh yes, I, that, was that so one so I powerful. felt. Yes, that one I felt really kind of got that experience of feeling invisible, ignored, um, dismissed, and, and Cordelia is one of the people who does that. I felt that particular episode was very powerful as someone who studies bullying. Yeah.
1: Are there any other depictions that of bullying that are particularly
2: good or bad? Um, so. My favorite movie, as someone who studies pure victimization, so again, this goes back to the um, depiction of kids who are being bullied, um, is the movie Welcome to the Dollhouse. I saw that. Did you see <laughs> yeah, that? Yeah, have you seen that? I have not <laughs> seen it. It makes you uncomfortable. Yes. Doesn't it? It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's going to make you feel incredibly mm-hmm. uncomfortable, and I think that's why I love it, mm-hmm. because you understand, for a, at, at a tiny level, what it must be like to be a kid going through pure victimization. The movie... A little surreal, um, maybe even a tiny bit over the top, but it really does get you to that emotional place in a way that you really don't enjoy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to me, that that was a very powerful <laughs> depiction of bullying. Um, one that I'm not as crazy about. Mean Girls was not my favorite. Mm. It was. It had some funny moments, um, but what I, and it did also again focus on the idea that bullies are often popular. But again, I feel like it really. My problem with the mean girls dynamic was that, again, it focused on the sort of within-group aggression rather than really depicting the bullying that occurs um, by these very, very much weaker kids. Um, uh, And and, and just the fact that there was this sort of um, idea that girls are the ones who engage in this Mm -hmm. relational aggression, that this is a girl thing. Another myth we have that I forgot to mention is that the idea that it's girls or um, young women who engage in relational aggression, that they're the ones who gossip and backstab and try to hurt each other's relationships. And this movie, I think, really kind of glorified this idea that it's a girl's behavior when the research shows that really it's about even between men and women and boys and girls in terms of who engages in those kinds of behaviors. So the idea that this was sort of this very, this is what happens in girl dynamics, right. That really bothered me because that doesn't match up with the research.
1: I appreciate you bringing that up because that's certainly something I've heard. Have you heard that too, Brandon, that it's kind of the, that's how girls behave. And so knowing that the research tells us a different story, actually at multiple points, as you've described bullying. And I think that just speaks to the importance of looking at the research, even if something seems to make intuitive sense, or it seems to fit, what we think, or even common cultural narratives, research can really tell us what's actually going on a lot of the time.
2: And the history behind that is actually mm-hmm. quite interesting because, um, and I should mention that we do see a gender difference in physical forms of bullying, mm. where we do find that boys physically bullying more than girls do. It's just a lot closer to equal when it comes to the more verbal relational okay. forms. So the physical is definitely a very strong bias towards boys engaging in it more than girls. But with the relational aggression, it has an interesting history because the initial studies did suggest that girls do it more than boys. That that was what was first coming out, and then as more and more researchers began to study it, and people started to compile the um, evidence from all these studies, um, and I'll give a little mention nod to my friend Noel Card, who was one of the people who engaged, who did one of these big analyses, um, we start to find that actually for relational aggression, despite what the initial research suggested. Every so often you'll see that it's in some studies that girls okay. do it more than boys, but it's e- half an, you know, it's fairly equal in a lot of studies. And overall, just when you look at the research as a whole, any bias towards girls engaging it more than boys is so slight as to not really be as powerful as our popular depictions of aggression suggest. Uh,
1: and yeah, it shows also the power of the pop culture depictions like mm-hmm. mean girls, like oh, you yeah. said, that people can, it seems true, and then they see it represented, and they're like, yeah, that's yeah. completely that's it. Right. Mm-hmm. One question we had from Twitter was whether there are contagion effects from if people watch like Mean Girls or something like that, will they act more like bullies?
2: That's a great question. And um, to be honest, I'm going to say I don't know any studies that look at how depicting aggression. Well, actually, there have been some studies that try to show a link between watching relational aggression on um, um, the preteen sitcoms Mm -hmm. and actual aggression trying to show a little bit of a link there Um, I don't know how well that research is holding up. Peer contagion effects for aggression are well-documented in terms of just aggression within your peer group. In terms of whether or not you're going to actually watch bullying on a a movie or a TV show and then do it yourself, I think what's going to really impact whether or not kids bully is going to be those peer dynamics more than anything else. because. If the peer group rejects the bullying, then the reward system is gone and you're not going to see that those kids bully anymore. If you already have a peer system that rewards bullying, it might help teach, unfortunately, some ideas for how to bully, mm-hmm. but I think you're already working with a peer dynamic then where the bullying is being supported. Okay. I do think some it, it would be a great area for more research, though. Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, really interesting. So. Usually, um, we conclude by asking people what they geek out about. But first, is there anything else about bullying that we didn't get to? I don't think so. I think we asked a lot of, hopefully answered a lot of really
2: important questions. You answered a lot
1: of questions for me, so I appreciate that. What do you like to geek
2: out about? Oh, my gosh. (laughs) I was worried about that question. (laughs) (laughs) I seem to geek out about work more than anything else. And that's okay. That's okay. (laughs) I I love playing... um, Board games, mm-hmm. uh, especially some of the newer board games that come out. So I geek out about that. What are some of your favorite tabletop games? My favorite tabletop games. Pandemic. Oh, wow. Dominion. Cash and Guns. Or is it Guns and Cash? Cash and Guns. I don't know that one. Oh, you don't know that one? Mm-hmm. Oh, I think we know what we're doing uh, next weekend. Okay. <laughs> um, let's see. Oh, I love all kinds of games. Uh, uh, I do Sushi Go, for example, with my daughter, which is a, a fun one. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, um, is it code word or code code names? Yeah. Oh yeah, that's fun. I love code names. So oh yeah, we we did that one tonight. Yeah. So
1: did we win? Um, I
2: don't think so. I don't think we ever <laughs> won. We'll have to play that again. I think so. <laughs> I think our time is our time has come. We need to, be, we need to win that game finally. Uh, so yeah, any any kind of really good mentally challenging game like that, I really do enjoy.
1: Okay, cool. Anything else you want to say, geek out about? I happen to know that you are very very skilled at statistical analyses. Mm-hmm. Do I geek out about statistical? I think you I do. You sound excited. I think I, think I do. do.
2: I hear passion yeah. when you're yeah. talking about statistics. It's, it makes you really fun at a, at a party when <laughs> you're like, oh my gosh, I read this great paper about longitudinal <laughs> data analysis and... Disambiguating with between and within person changes. People love talking to you; they really do.
1: You just, but the right crowd that becomes very exciting. I need to find the right crowd. <laughs> and Hamilton is another thing I, I would have guessed
2: is a geek out thing. I do. I don't. But I don't think I know about as much about it as you do. Well.
1: I tend to go a little overboard. Okay, okay. So maybe you like it. I do love. it. I do love. (laughs) Maybe it's not as geek outy as like the statistical stuff. Thank
2: you. You know, I kind of come up with things I geek out about. So I'm (laughs) grateful you answered my question (laughs) for me. Now I feel like I have a personality now. (laughs) I didn't have one of those before. (laughs) Well, I'm happy to help. That's what
1: friends are for. That's what doppelgangers are for. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Winnie. This has been fantastic. I'm really happy that we can have an episode that gets out accurate information from an expert yes. on bullying in such an important and relevant topic area. And just thank you so much. Oh, thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, great to have you. All right, folks, thank you so much for listening, in and uh, we'll, we'll see you next time. We don't really see our listeners, though. We'll be talking at we'll you be, next we'll time. We'll be talking <laughs> at you Tell next time. Tell them you do. <laughs> yeah, out. we will see you next yeah. time. <laughs> Watching you right
2: now. <laughs>